Hey, this is Matt Stacy, youth pastor at New Life, and this is our podcast. I hope that the preaching and teaching you listen to here encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with God. This podcast is a ministry of New Life, and as such, is completely free to the listener. That being said, if you feel led to give to this ministry, we want to make that available to you. You can text GIVE to 833-793-0451. You can also give online through the Tithely app by searching New Life Tabernacle. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the message. Can we do that for just a minute? Can we give God a praise? Thank you, Jesus. We magnify you, Jesus. We magnify you, Jesus. You're great and greatly to be praised. You're great and greatly to be praised. What an awesome God we serve tonight. Amen. We are in our 23rd lesson of the book of Revelation, moving right along. If you wouldn't mind praying with me over this, we're going to pray over this and then we're going to dive right in. Jesus, we thank you so much for another opportunity in your house, another opportunity to hear your word, to study your word. Jesus, we are so grateful for your forever settled word. Help it to get into us. Help us to understand it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we were saying, this is our 23rd lesson. You can be seated. Twenty-third lesson in the book of Revelation. We uh, are in the 13th chapter. Now we're getting into what seems to be the focus of most people. And uh, is that why we, we came and grabbed it? Wasn't working. This is a fickle clicker. That's all there is to that. Still not working. There we go. Praise God. I thought it was a great idea to get a clicker, and then, you know, it's doing this to me. Praise the Lord. It's interesting, uh, as I was saying, that this is this is one of these chapters that a lot of people, when they think of the book of Revelation, they think of this chapter, whether they know it or not. Next week, we'll be getting into the mark of the beast and interesting things like that. Did I notice that we were killing wasps earlier? The is it is it a coincidence? I think not. That we are going to introduce the Antichrist tonight, and he has let loose his minions to thwart the people of God. And yet, I saw we slayed a few of them. So, the people of God always come out on the right side. Our world, as we've got up there, is hungry for leadership. It's kind of innate inside of humanity. We're always looking for the next great leader, the next great star. That's what we want. We want a star. We want a messianic figure, someone who's charismatic, brilliant, who's going to usher in the golden age of humanity. 
it's fascinating. We, we put way too much uh, faith and hope into leadership. And yet, this, has been, this is not just our generation's problem. This is a human problem. It's been a problem uh, from the very beginning. What happens when people hunger for leadership, it causes the world from time to time to fall into the hands of tyrants. I've got a few of them to picture tonight. Stalin. It's fascinating if you study. History is always, uh, you look back on history with, with clear sight. You can see the whole picture. But if you were in Russia at the time that he came to power, he convinced a lot of people that he was the right man for the job. That was before he ended up murdering millions. We've got Hitler rightfully elected in Germany, convinced millions uh, in Germany that he was, he was the man of the hour. Fascinating. Even in our own country, we have revisionist history now that would try to distance themselves from it. Did you know that this man was the time man of the year at what point? Time man of the year. Socialism, communism, the flirtation that we see with that in our day is nothing new. They try to distance themselves from him now because of what we know that he did, but at the time before all of that happened, uh, he, was, he had a, a fan base here in the United States, unfortunately. You've got Mao. Nobody really talks. I'm not even sure if they teach anyone in our schools about Mao anymore. Mao Zedong. He took over China again. He had seemingly the people's support. He's actually one of the greatest mass murderers of all time what happened in China, and that's probably why nobody likes to talk about it and mention it. He is He's 100% a communist. Millions and millions uh, deaths uh, were by his leadership skills. Then you've got Mussolini in Italy who came to power, <clears throat> eventually sides with the, again, wrong side. All of these men elected by people. Some of them overthrew the government of the time, but they didn't do it by themselves. They had supporters. They had people on their side. People, humanity, it's just part of being human, hungry for leadership, hungry for somebody to take charge, somebody to lead the way. What's fascinating is all of these men had a vision. They had a plan. They had a, they had, they had a pitching point, a selling point. Hitler, if you ever can get any of his speeches translated, he sold the German people on a new Germany, a greater Germany. He, he pitched that to them. Same with Mao in China, Stalin in Russia, Mussolini in Italy. He, they, they all had, had charisma, exhibited leadership skills. The greatest deceiver, however, these were all great deceivers. Some would like to say that they were just madmen. The truth is that they were just evil men. Not madmen, evil men. The greatest deceiver, though, the greatest tyrant, has yet to step on the scene 
uh, of the world stage yet. That's what we're going to be looking at tonight, is kind of the autobiography, if you will. Not autobiography, that would mean written by himself. Mini biography of his life and career. This greatest tyrant that's going to step on the scene. He's known by many different names. He's known in Daniel 7 as the little horn. Daniel 9 as the coming prince. Daniel 11 as the willful king. Thessalonians 2, the man of sin. We know him best. He's most popularly known as the Antichrist. He's the guy that's going to step on the scene and, uh, and take over. The truth is, this satanic spirit, if you will, that influences him, and we'll see tonight, the Bible supports this. He's not Satan, he's influenced by Satan. He's a man. The Antichrist is going to be a flesh and blood man. But he's going to have satanic power, satanic influences. And we know that this is the way Satan's work. He's been doing this since the beginning of time. I believe that all of those men that I just talked about before were under satanic influence. The Apostle Paul said that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but but against principalities and powers and, and rulers of this present darkness. So I, I believe very strongly that we have, and you know, the uh, Apostle John said that there are many antichrists, spirits of antichrist working in our world today. When you think of the influences behind some of the, right now in America, uh, the Supreme Court just today, I don't think there's been a ruling yet, but just today they're seeing a case that's possibly could lead to the overturning of one of the uh, most horrifying decisions in the history of the United States, Roe versus Wade. The power behind abortion in this country, make no mistake, that's not just human ingenuity, human forces that are at work. There's a spirit behind that. We deal with spiritual stuff. This man, whenever he steps on the scene, when he, when he gets ready, when, when, when that time comes and they get permission from the Lord, the dragon, as we talked about in the last chapter, is going to step forward. He's going to call his man up. He's going to anoint his man. He's going to give him power. It's going to be the culmination of the satanic influence that has been seen in small doses throughout the history of the world. And you say, how could what happened in Germany be a small dose of satanic power? I promise when this man steps on the scene... Those who will be around will understand what I mean by small dose of satanic power. Our world has seen it at work, but it will not see it at work to this level until this man, under the influence of Satan, steps on the scene. He's going to be anointed by Satan and empowered by Satan. So let's dive into the text then. We're going to look at the first 10 verses of Revelation. That's kind of setting up what we are talking about tonight. Verses 1 through 4, where we're going to start. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. 
And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, and his seat, and great authority. And I saw one of the heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him? So here we have the introduction, if you will, of the Antichrist. John sees a vision. In his vision, he sees a sea, and out of the sea comes this symbolic creature. It's got seven heads. It's got ten horns. Each of the heads are wearing a crown. You look at that word crown. There's two Greek words for crown. There's Stephanus, which is a victor's crown. You get that crown by achieving something, accomplishing something. The other is a diadem. It's a ruler's crown. This, These crowns that are on the seven heads are ruler's crowns. So we, we take that to be kingdoms of uh, the world. So John sees Satan here calling forth his man, the Antichrist, anointing him uh, to be the leader of that day. And again, the world is so hungry at this point for a leader. Don't, be, don't read the Bible and wonder yourself, how is it possible that the entire world will be deceived? The same way that Germany in a minor sense was deceived and China was deceived at the time and Italy was deceived by Mussolini. At the, same, the same way that in minor ways men throughout history have deceived certain groups of people, this man with the full force of satanic power behind him will be able to step on the scene and he's going to be able to deceive the entire world, save those that are believers at that time. You look at the seven heads and ten horns, you have to ask, what do those mean? Because we know that this portion is is highly symbolic. We've talked about uh, where to interpret things literally and where to interpret things symbolically. This is one of those areas that is a clear picture of symbolism. Um, what's mentioned here, the image here, it's similar to what is found in Daniel 7. I'm hoping maybe by next week I'll be able to give you all a handout, which is a comparison of Daniel 7 and what we see here. But in Daniel 7, uh, Daniel sees a vision. He sees four beasts. He sees a lion, a bear, a four-headed leopard, and the fourth beast he describes as dreadful, terrifying, and strong. We believe that those beasts represent the kingdoms that were at that time, successive kingdoms, uh, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. These kingdoms, all of them, what they have in common, they were powers of that time, and they strongly opposed God and the people of God, the truth. So, if you will, I believe that the symbolism here suggests that that beast that is the Antichrist that comes out of the sea at that time 
he is the embodiment of every world power that has opposed God and his people. So if I could say it like I was trying to say it before, that is throughout history, when you read history, you can see in small doses satanic power here, satanic influence there. But the entire culmination of that satanic influence, it's going to end up with this man and he's going to have all of it. He's going to be the embodiment of all of that throughout uh, time. We look and it says that the dragon is the source of his power. We, we, took, we looked last week, the dragon is none other than Satan himself. Satan gives this man his power, his seat, and great authority. So Satan himself is influencing this man at this time He's going to work miracles, he's going to work wonders, he's going to deceive a lot of people, and he's going to do it under satanic power, satanic authority. Even now, Satan, his influence, his spirit is at work. But it will be, it, it'll pale in comparison to what's going to happen on this day and in this time when this beast steps forward and has the authority, the full endorsement of Satan. This is Satan's man. He will operate totally under the obedience of Satan. And it's a replica, if you will. Antichrist. It's the opposite of Christ. You can interpret that as being opposed to Christ, someone who's opposed to Christ, or someone who tries to mirror Christ. When you think of an antichrist. So in many ways, Satan does try to mirror Christ with his man, but in many other ways, he is just the living opposite of what we know as Christ. The next thing we see, and there's a lot of, we'll talk about this, there's a lot of, of different discussions on what this is. John sees one of the horns on uh, the beast that comes out suffers a fatal wound, wounded unto death, and he miraculously recovers for the entire world to see and be wowed about. The world witnesses this, as I just said, and because of this, they end up worshiping uh, Satan fully. Now, this is a hotly debated, anyone who comes to the book of Revelation, they're going to debate, who is this? Uh, what does this represent, this wound that was suffered by the beast that comes out of the sea? One of the most common interpretations um, by conservative would be conservative theologians is that this represents the horn represents the Roman Empire you ever heard of the reviving of the Roman Empire it's going to be a new Roman Empire they believe that the wounding would be the Roman Empire and the miraculous recovery will be the 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 reestablishment in that day of the Roman Empire. I would suggest that for several reasons, this is kind of a difficult interpretation uh, to follow. In verse 3, it does speak of there being one horn that is severely wounded and then recovers miraculously. But in verse 12 of the same chapter, it suggests that it's the beast himself that suffered the fatal wound and then recovers. So I would suggest that this is a man 
that was fatally wounded and miraculously recovers. With that understanding, there's two popular, well, there's several popular. I'm just going to discuss a couple of them, and then we're going to move on because we don't want to take too much time, you know, dragging through this. One of the popular ones is, that, and I have heard it before. I've actually heard people that believe both of these. Some believe that this is Judas. Judas is the Antichrist. He's going to be resurrected, step on the scene, and be the Antichrist, and that's going to be the miraculous recovery. The problem with that is no one in our day, how many of y'all have ever seen Judas? No one knows who Judas is. I've been at a church where there was a crazy gentleman outside the church who was trying to convince everybody going into the church that he himself was Jesus. I didn't believe him for, for various reasons. If the Antichrist is Judas and he's resurrected at this time, nobody has ever seen Judas. Nobody knows who Judas is. He's just going to be labeled crazy. He's not convincing anybody that he's Judas. So I think that that one falls just by common sense. The next one, which is a very popular theory, I've heard this one a few times, is that Nero. Nero is going to be resurrected, and Nero is the Antichrist. Um, there are several problems with this as well. And actually, both of them suffer from one similar problem, and that is both Judas and Nero killed themselves, committed suicide. And yet this wound that's going to be inflicted is inflicted by someone else. So it would seem that that would, on its own, would eliminate Nero and Judas. But I think Nero may have this, a similar problem in the sense that he gets resurrected. He's going to have to convince people that he's really Nero that's been resurrected. And that's going to be kind of difficult. So I think that we can, we can eliminate maybe those two possibilities and we could say that this is the Antichrist, but it's a future man that is going to be alive at that time that Satan is going to anoint and possess and use as his man in that hour. This man is going to, apparently from Scripture, suffer a, a fatal or what seems to be a fatal wound. Whether, it is, whether that's reality or not, it's going to seem that way to the world. And it's going, he's going to miraculously recover. And whether you believe he actually suffers the wound or whether it is, uh, it's a, it's a play that he puts on and he deceives the whole world. I don't have a dog in that fight, really. Either way, he does convince the world that he was at the point of death, but miraculously recovers. And when he, by doing this, he convinces the world to worship the dragon who gives him power, and himself by deceiving the world in this way. So Satan has stepped on the scene with his man. Satan has performed, quote-unquote, a miracle by his man. And now he's ready to work his... Uh, 
agenda for the world. And what's fascinating about this, you say, well, how, why are people so ready to believe? Because we have so many skeptics in this day. You've got to remember how many thousands of people and millions of people are dying at this point when this man steps on the scene. And what does he offer, Brother Jeff? He offers the ability to overcome death. He's conquered death. Everyone's suffering from death. The wrath of God is being poured out on the world. And this man steps on the scene and says, I've overcome death. And they know it. They've watched it. They've been convinced by it. And so the world worships him. The world begins to worship Satan. Let's read verses 5 and 6. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name in his tabernacle and them that dwell in. So this Antichrist is given authority. He's given power, permission, if you will, to blaspheme. And so what does he do? He attacks, he makes fun of, uses humiliating languages, uh, looks down upon the name of God, the people of God, the house of God. It even says that those that are in heaven, he's mocking God, he's mocking Christianity, he's mocking Jesus, he's mocking those that have served him. And this is going to last 42 months. Open blasphemy. All of that's taking place. And we got verse 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. And this is staggering, right? You're reading that right tonight. And to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. He will make war against the saints, and he's going to overcome them. You know, I there are certain people who have certain beliefs about the end time and that kind of thing. That it's the it's kind of the same. Uh, they believe that um, persecution's been happening from the beginning of time, and and this is just going to be more of the same. I, I think I've done, an, uh, I've tried my best to do a good job of convincing folks that this is not just going to be more of the same. This is going to be the worst kind of persecution the world has ever seen. But at this point, this is staggering, right? He's given permission to fight against the people of God. Now, I've, I've heard uh, some people teach, you know, the argument is both, both, pre-tribulationists and post-tribulationists believe that God's going to protect His people. Some believe He'll protect them through the tribulation. Some think that He's going to rescue them from the tribulation, keep them from it. You know my view on the subject. But those that believe that He's going to keep them through it have got to do something about this. Because it says that He's going to make war against the people of God. And he's going to overcome the people of God. Now, this is physical. This is not spiritual. This is not talking about salvation. It's not talking about them giving up their faith. This is physical attacks, Brother Jeff. 
physical death, martyrdom, that is going to come across the people of God. It's going to be a horrible, 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 horrible time. He's going to persecute. He's going to attack. I would suggest that that is not keeping the people of God through it. That's a a different kind of thing. Those people that are there at that time are subject to the same persecution, if you will, that everyone else is being subjected to. Just a thought. Let's move on. Verses 8 through 10. And all that dwell upon the earth, he's talking about unbelievers, shall worship him whose names are not written, and this is, I jumped ahead of it, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So all of the unbelievers in the world are going to worship him. Can you imagine the isolation, the total loneliness that you would feel in that hour? Fascinating. Right now, um, Christianity is a little bit isolated. Christianity, it, it can be a lonely place. If you're in school, you can get picked on for being a Christian and all of that stuff. But you know that there are other religions out there. There are other people that have other beliefs and other systems of thought. There's Judaism. There's, 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 we have, there's, a, there's a lot of religions out there. We're the only true religion. We're the only way to God. Jesus is the only way to God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. But there are other religions that are out there. In this day, there's going to be two belief systems. Either you're worshiping the beast or you're not. Those are your options. Either you're on his side or you're against him. And it's going to be a very lonely place. There are no allies in this day. Right now, you could say that, uh, that Israel is an ally of Christianity. We work together. Uh, we pray for Israel. In this day, there is no ally for believers of God, for believers in God. There's only loneliness and isolation. And what comes next is a warning. Encouragement for the believers, a warning for the unbelievers. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. I love this. This is a truth about God that is not talked about enough. What's the patience of the saints? What the Lord is saying, and again, this is encouragement to believers. This is a warning to unbelievers. Those that lead the people of God into captivity are going to go into captivity themselves. Those that persecute and kill the people of God are going to be killed themselves. This is the patience and the faith of the saints. We serve a God. Our God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God, in the end, is going to take care of all of it. So, in this day, those believers that are there, that are under severe persecution, they're under great torment, they're being attacked by the Antichrist, by those that believe the Antichrist, many of them are losing their lives. What hope do they have? 
This is their hope. That God is going to get the final say. That God, at the end of the day, is going to rule and he's going to reign. That's the patience and the faith of the saints. And how does this all apply to, well, if the music would like to come, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going to stop right there for now. The rest of it would have been too much to get into this week, so we're going to dive into that next week. But how does this, how can we look at this and we can apply this uh, today? What's going to happen then, all of that stuff is going to happen on smaller levels, micro levels now. So we look at it and we think to ourselves, our world is getting out of control. And I've talked about this before. The American church, and I do have a problem with the government trying to close our doors. But the government trying to close our doors is one problem. And if you're in an Islamic country, capital punishment, if you're witness to somebody about Jesus' name, that's another problem. And at the end of the day, the same promise that he's given to those people then applies to everyone now. You say it's, you know, it's tough being a Christian. People make fun of us. People bully us. The government is looking down on us, trying to close our doors. You've got people that are dying for Christianity overseas. At the end of the day, what's our, what's our patience? What's the faith of the saints? What are we believing for and waiting for? We know that at the end of the day, Jesus is going to be king. And everything that's been wrong is going to be made right again. That's how we can suffer with joy. That's how we can maintain a right attitude even when the world is falling apart. We're going to pray, and we're going to pray that Jesus will come quickly, and He will establish His kingdom, and He will reign. Because at the end of the day, and I believe in getting involved, I absolutely do, because Jesus, He may come back tomorrow, He may come back in a 100 years. I absolutely believe in getting involved. I absolutely believe in voting our faith. I hope that you're praying that God would have His way with the decision of the Supreme Court justices today that justice would prevail, that they would do the right thing. But at the end of the day, even though we vote our conscience and we, and we bring our Christianity to the ballot box, at the end of the day, if the wrong person wins, Jesus is still in charge. And Jesus is going to make everything right one day. So what are we going to do right now? We're going to do everything we can to advance the kingdom of God on earth. But when it looks like that it's not working out in our favor, when it looks like the world's prevailing, when it looks like we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed and yet America is slipping more and more towards Sodom and farther and farther away from Jerusalem. And by that I mean the world, America is slipping further and further towards the influence of Satan and less and less away from the influence of Christ. Are we going to die of depression are we going to get in a corner suck our thumb and, and whine about the situation no we're going to fight and we're going to understand that even when it looks like if it does look like that we're losing the battle at the end of the day we're not losing we can't lose we can't lose 
The game's fixed. It's already decided. We've already won. Amen. Our job is just to keep doing the will of God where we're at. That means in your school, you're to do the will of God in your school. You're to be a representative of Christ in your school and try to win as many as you can. On your jobs, you're to be a representative of Christ and represent Christ in a way that brings Him glory and win as many as you can. That's our job. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be representatives of Christ until Jesus comes back and establishes His kingdom. The world may think that they're winning, that their ideas are advancing, but I promise you at the end of the day, Jesus wins. Would you mind standing? Next week, we're going to talk about the rest of chapter 13. We're going to get into the mark of the beast and all that kind of stuff. And I understand that that topic really excites debate and a lot of people like to talk about it. And we're going to talk about it and you're going to get my perspective on that issue and it's going to be great. But right now, I wonder if we could just take some time and let's pray. And let's pray in this way. God, help us to stay focused on the fact that you're in charge. It does look like in America that America's heading down the wrong direction. Very clear. The evidence is all over the place. But I'm not going to get down. I'm not going to cry about it. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep teaching. And we're going to pray that there will be revival in this land. So I wonder if we could do that tonight. Find a place to pray. And I wonder if you could pray in that direction. Jesus, help us to keep the main thing the main thing. Help us to stay focused on the fact that you're in charge. That you're in control. That at the end of the day, you win. God, help us to keep the right perspective. Could you pray in that way?